Here we are with another episode of Small Doses. I'm so glad to how just much you guys are enjoying these episodes. And we're talking about all different types of things. And we talked about hoe phases and uh, being black women in Hollywood. And, uh, you know, just type A personalities. And we're always going to just, you know, cover the gamut of things, you know. So I feel like it's really important that we keep things fresh and different and unique. And I love when you guys send me your ideas to my DMs on Instagram for different types of episodes you want us to do. So please keep doing that. We're going to keep bringing you that and also continue to give you dope uh, people I like guests. Today, we have an episode that really is the cornerstone of kind of like how I live and what allows me to approach things in the way that I do. This is all about side effects of being a realist. Mm. Now, when you're a realist, a lot of times people peg you as a negative Nancy. Okay? They're like, oh, you know, you're, you need to have more optimism. You need to be more like shiny, happy people holding hands. And a lot of times for realists, we are just like, listen, we're not here to be optimists. We're not here to be pessimists. We are here to gauge what's going down and properly manage expectations. That is is the goal of a realist. Now, when you are that kind of person in a world that isn't full of necessarily those kinds of people, there are, of course, side effects, which we are going to get into over the course of this lovely episode of Pequeño Doses. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. We're dropping on these hoes. <sighs> this jam dropping is all about being objective versus pessimistic. Now, the reason why this is an important distinction is because being objective is at the cornerstone of being a realist. It's somebody who is looking at the scenario and seeing what's real, okay? And in order to really see what's real, you got to be objective. You got to be able to delineate the parameters of the problem versus what you're bringing into the problem. You got to be able to look at what could happen versus what did happen. And sometimes, once you do all of that, you come up with the result and it's like, you know what? Shit ain't going to pop off. This is not, it's not really going to, really not going to work out. And then people will be like, oh, you are, you are a pessimist. You should be positive. You should be positive about this. And it's really frustrating because you're like, I'm not being a pessimist. I'm simply doing the math and it's coming out as a negative 25. Now, when you are a pessimist, everything comes out as a negative 25 or a negative 2 or a negative 511 times because no matter what, your point of view is always coming from a side of shit ain't going to work. It's just not going to happen. And there's something to be said for when you are a pessimist where that really comes from. Some people's pessimism comes from the fact that they just don't have a lot of examples of good things happening. And so they're just drawing from their experience. They're just drawing from the fact that like, I ain't seen no good shit happen. So I don't even know what that looks like. I'm just drawing from my perspective. And my perspective is that 
this is always going to turn out bad. Some people are pessimists because they really have a feeling of not necessarily wanting things to work. Some people really do like struggle. You know, some people really do feel like when they are in a negative space, that's when they thrive. And so they stay in that space. And not everybody is a pessimist because they are consciously trying to be a pessimist, you know? And I think that's the thing too. Some people are just that way because of their upbringing, because of their situation, not necessarily because they're a negative Nancy, not necessarily because they're a mean person or not necessarily because they want to bring the mood down. But if you do feel like you are somebody who is a pessimist and who just kind of looks at things and always expects them to fail, you got to exercise some self-awareness and say, okay, how can I possibly change this mindset and a lot of times, you know, there is there is proof that mindsets change outcomes. So perhaps there's something to be said for there. Now, that's where being objective comes in. Because it's, it could be asking a lot to ask somebody to go from being a pessimist to an optimist. Because optimists basically exist in like the sunflower costume in the Blind Melon video. That is essentially what an optimist is. Like the, not the sunflower costume, the bumblebee costume in the blind melon video. But you know why I said sunflower? Because she was running through sunflowers and she was in the bumblebee costume. And like the joy was that of a sunflower. You know, like the baby that was the sun in um, Teletubbies? That is an optimist. Okay? They're just looking over the world and they're just like, everything's going to work out. I know Cloverfield landed and we have giant monsters on earth that are attacking everybody. It's fine though. We're going to work it out. You know why? Because we have love. And sometimes optimists can be really fucking annoying. Okay. That's the thing. Because at the end of the day, optimists and pessimists represent extremes. And extremes are always a little cumbersome to deal with. Anything going all the way in one direction is always going to be a cumbersome thing to deal with because there's not really a lot of that in the world. Things typically kind of fall within the gray. So when someone is all the way an optimist, sometimes it can also be really annoying if you're an objective person because you're like, no, you're skewing the point of view in a direction that is going to be mismanaging expectations. I've been in situations where I can see that a situation is not going to work out and someone's like, no, 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 just, just believe when you believe. And I'm like, what I believe in is my experience in the world and knowing that this right here is not going to work out. So what we should put our energy to is the solution, not pretending like it isn't what it is. Being objective is a cornerstone to being a realist because it's really about identifying things without emotion. And when you're a realist, that's what you do. You are just looking at the scenario for what it is and you take out the emotion. A pessimist a lot of times does have emotion attached to it. They do have this fear. Pessimism and negativity is oftentimes rooted in fear. It's in fear of something moving forward, in fear of having to deal with something fear of not knowing the outcome. So you just say, you know what? It's going to be whack. So that no matter what happens, you've already prepared yourself to deal with it. I understand the the thought process in that, but I think that sometimes it can really get in the way. And there's nothing wrong with saying like, I objectively feel like this isn't going to work out. So I'm not going to set myself up. 
I mean, like, I had a guy recently who was like, all right, I have to go to this party at midnight, and then I have to—the uh, person said they're going to get there at midnight, and then I'm going to drive from Queens, and I'm going to come pick you up, and I'm going to take you to the airport. You know, and you're going to be at the airport for your 5.30 a.m. flight. No. That's—that's that's a setup. And he's like, you're just being negative. No, I'm not. I'm being objective. Because the fact of the matter is, if someone says they're showing up to their birthday at midnight, guess when they're showing up? At 1 a.m. And guess what? You're not going to get to leave until 2 a.m. And you're driving all the way from Queens. And you're going to come all the way to the city and then turn around and then pick me up and then drive me all the way back to Queens. None of this is going to happen. None of this. And the realist in me, the objective person, has to look at it and say, even though I want to see you, And even though I would love for you to take me to the airport, this is a bad idea. It's just not a good idea. So I'll see you next time. But he was just so bent out of shape. Like, oh, you're just being difficult. And I'm like, I'm really not. I'm helping you out. Because what this is is setting you up to piss me off. And then I'm going to be disappointed. You're going to have your feelings hurt. And nobody here has won. Let's not be pessimists. Let's not be optimists. Let's be objective. And the thing about being objective, it doesn't stand in the way of being hopeful. And I think that's the key interesting thing we have to look at here. At least when you are objective, you can still have hope. It doesn't say that you cannot still think, but you know what? It could turn out better. But when you're a pessimist, you don't even consider that it could work out. You don't even get the opportunity to be possibly expect unexpectedly impressed so hope is not in the way when you're objective you leave space for there to be a possibility for there to be hope but you also acknowledge that this is the framework we're working in and we got to work smart about how we're dealing with it be objective gets you on the way to realist and when you're a realist you get real good results baby baby So we got some really fantastic questions for DMT, but I want to clarify something first because some of the questions were people asking about like being real versus being a realist. And I think what we have to clarify is that being real is you living in your truth. And your truth may be that you are a pessimist or that you are an optimist. That doesn't make you not real. Being a realist means that you're somebody that looks in the world through a certain lens. And the lens that you look through the world is that sometimes things can be negative and sometimes things can be positive. But the reality is that you are always looking more so at the facts in front of you versus looking at them through an emotional lens, which freaks people out. That freaks a lot of people out because a lot of people really don't do that, which is why we see what's going on in our nation in America right now, because we have a whole government that is basing everything on just not facts, alternative facts. So I just wanted to clarify that and I'll continue to clarify it throughout these questions. We have some fantastic questions here and um, let's just get right into it. How do you come into expressing your realism? How do you express yourself after being a certain way for so long, but now you want to live your truth? For example, my entire fam are hyper-religious freaks, and I'm not. They care about it so much, and I don't. I'm fresh out of college, and I'm not here for this shit anymore. (laughs) And I'm trying to find a way to express that without offending my family. 
If it comes to that, then so be it. But I'm looking for an alternative first. So this is a great example of real versus being a realist. Like his real truth is that he's no longer um, religious. And that's what it is for him being like real. Now, being a realist is what is applied in how he deals with this. As a realist, you look at this scenario and you look at the whole situation. I'm not religious. My family is. They're going to react negatively um, from my experience. So how do I tackle the situation in a way that's going to get the best outcome? Now, an optimist might say, no matter what you say, they're going to love you. So don't even worry about it. Just say it and expand hope for the best, right? A pessimist might say, Psh, man, fuck your family. They don't care about you. They don't care about what you think. They're probably not going to care about what you say. And they're probably not going to care about you anyway. So you know what? Don't say shit and just deal with it. A realist is going to say, listen, there's some ways that this could go. But the most important thing is for you to not feel like you are being attacked and for them to not feel like they're being attacked. As a realist, I would say that the best way to deal with this situation is to simply, if you feel like you even have to address it at all, to say, listen, I am not diminishing anything from you guys and what you believe. Because everybody is trying to get through this life, y'all. This life is hard. It's confusing. It is... uh, (laughs) It's it's unexpected. You don't know what's coming at you left or right. So everybody needs something. You know, for some people, they need Jesus. Some people need heroin. Everybody needs something. Okay? So it's very difficult sometimes to, like, take that thing from somebody, especially if it's not necessarily hurting them or others. So that's why when people, like, want to argue about religion, I'm just like, I'm not going to argue with you. You know, if that's what you believe and that's what you need to get through, fine. Now, don't try and tell me about my life. If I'm not hurting anybody simply by not believing in what you believe. And I think that's really like where you can try to come from with your family. Listen, you know, if they're trying to like continue to rope you into stuff that you don't feel comfortable with because it's not really your belief system anymore. It may be time to say, hey, guys, you know, I've actually like not just I'm just not not on that side of things anymore. I'm not trying to shit on y'all. I definitely understand where you're coming from, but I've just grown in my way of thinking to go in a different direction. There is a good chance, there's a good chance as a realist, there is a good chance that they'll then consider you to be, you know, maybe problematic or, you know, I've definitely had people tell me like, I'm going to hell if I don't go to church. And all you can do in those situations is be like, okay, you know, they're your family, so they're not really going anywhere. So you have to decide, like, you can either take it or leave it. But at the end of the day, if you feel like it is absolutely necessary to tell them that you want them and their Bible to kick rocks, then it's about how you approach it and what your expectations are when you get to the other side of it. That's what a realist does. A realist looks at the scenario and asks themselves, what are the expectations that I have for this? And then manages them with the information that they already have against the possibilities that could be in place. So good luck with that. I tell you to pray on it, but... Not your cup of tea. Next question. How do you deal with people constantly going in and out of your life? Or people just not wanting to talk to you anymore because you're too woke for them and it reminds them of what they don't want to face. I have this problem so much and find myself alone making it hard to maintain friendships. So this is really a doozy because I am that realist friend. I am the friend that you don't come to until you want the real 
truth until you want the actuality of the situation. Literally, this happens so often where people want to lie to themselves. You know, they want to lie to themselves. They want to have a false optimism, which honestly is really just delusion. And they don't want to really face the truth. Your realist friend is the one who faces the truth because they have an objective point of view and they look at it and say, listen, here's what we're looking at. What do you want to do? And I've absolutely had a friend who I had a falling out with. And this was my best friend from high school. And we had a falling out because she decided to get married to somebody that she didn't really know that well. And I was like, you know, I don't think anybody else is really bringing this up. But you don't have to get married right now. You've only known this person for a few months. You don't live in the same state or country. You only talk over Skype. You have only seen each other in person four times. Perhaps we don't got a speed. Now, I legit was saying it in this tone of voice because you don't also want to just completely shit on somebody. That's the pessimist, you know? You don't want to be like, are you out of your fucking mind? How are you going to marry this person? You don't even know what they look like. Do you even understand what they do in the morning? Do they wet the toothbrush before they use it? Because you know people who don't do that, they're savages, you know? Like, do they... Do they take the garbage out? When they when they watch TV, do they talk through the show? Can you handle that? You know, do they get their taxes done on time? Are they comfortable with wet socks? Because that's also a savage. You know, the, these are the things that you want to know about somebody. You know, can they, can they muscle through a soggy sandwich? Because that's somebody who might be able to muscle through a shitty relationship. You don't know. You got to have time. They're not in front of you. And... No one around her was saying, hey, maybe there's a step before marrying. Maybe there's a step before him just coming over from another country and living with you as your husband. Maybe just come over from another country and live with me as my boo for a moment, even a month. And she was so just like not wanting to hear me. You know, and I wasn't like, I was not yelling, but I was absolutely just saying like, let's take a look at this from a real point of view and be objective about the pros and cons. Realists love a pros and cons. That's our whole shit. We are risk management specialists, okay? We line it up. The pros, the cons. And then we make a decision from there. But she just didn't want to do that. Because she had her mindset that this was going to be the what, what it is. And she was like, you know, why can't you just believe in love at first sight? And I was like, it's not that I don't believe in love at first sight. But I am not a reality TV show. And I don't believe in marriage at first sight. Anything that becomes a reality TV show is a good barometer for what not to do in actual reality. There's an actual show called Married at First Sight. So that means you shouldn't do it in real life. Because they're setting up a scenario that's so crazy that people will want to watch it for kicks, for just like shits and giggles because it's a train wreck. That's why they set it up because they know this right here is going to create some fuck shit. Naked and dating. What? Do you know why this is like this? This situation? 
because they know people are going to look at it and say, this is a bad situation. <laughs> Let's hate watch it. So when I saw that scenario, I, I felt like it wasn't a good situation, but she didn't want to hear it. So we stopped being friends because she didn't invite me to the wedding because she felt like I was hating on the matrimonials. And, you know, when you're a realist, you're not hating on the matrimonials. You're just like, I'm going to be on the sidelines with this one. You know, I got your back because I know you're going to fall. Um, that's the ellipses that you don't say. And uh, for anyone wondering, did they get a divorce? Of course they got a divorce. Of course. Of course. A divorce is a divorce, of course, of course. Everyone knew they was going to get a divorce. Of course, of course, because that's divorce. And I knew that in my head. Let me take a sip of my green juice. It's getting emotional here. Rebecca, the engineer, is shocked that I just made a song about divorce out of the Mr. Red theme song. Um, but that's what being a realist <laughs> That has nothing to do with being a realist. That's actually about being crazy. But I say all that to say, that you do have to get comfortable with the fact that there are going to be people in your life that simply just can't handle the truth. They can't handle the truth. Like, that's why that line has resonated so much for so many years as a classic line from film. Because the reality is that people can't handle the truth. That's why the show is called Small Doses. Because people have to take it in in small doses. And when you are a realist, you live in a truthful space that says, this is what it is. And sometimes people are not willing to take that in yet. A lot of times they'll come back to it later. They'll come back to you later when they are more receptive to that way of life. Sometimes people just would rather live with rose-colored lenses. You know what they say? When ignorance is bliss, it's folly to be wise. So you'll be fine. You're just going to have to find a tribe of folks that appreciate your realist point of view. And as long as you are learning not only to be a realist, but also tact in how you deliver that, you'll absolutely be okay and you'll find folks that respect that and don't consider that a flaw, but consider that an asset. How can you be a realist in a professional environment? I've been called cold or emotional for speaking truthfully and honestly. How can I be both cold and emotional? Well, this message is from a woman. So first of all, if anybody told you that in a professional environment, they're not realists, they're sexists because none of that has anything to do with your job. Um, in terms of what you're doing and how can you be both cold and emotional? That's a great question. You can be cold about certain things or emotional about certain things, but the reality is that I feel like those are words that they're using to simply misnomer their dislike for your response to something. Because if you're cold, it's basically because you probably didn't emotionally attach to what they presented you and you may have used your realist point of view to be like, well, I just think that this may be not the best thing. And so they're like, oh, you're being cold. You're being cold because you didn't get hype. You didn't get excited or you didn't like go along with what everybody else was doing. And then if you're emotional, it's because you were probably impassioned about something and you were like, no, I just think that this is a better choice. Your realist point of view was like, this is the better choice. And they're like, whoa, whoa, easy, Nelly. Easy for Tato. Bring it down. You're doing too much. And that can actually be a very difficult space to be in because when you are a realist, at the end of the day, like you are coming from a space that is honest and you're going to react and deliver in that space. And a lot of times other people who are dealing with things that are not necessarily looking at it from the same point of view, I said before, they have an extreme attached to it. 
So they need to like feel optimistic. So they're like adding all this extra stuff to it. And you're like, I don't, I don't see that. So I'm not there. And now you're considered cold. I think in a professional environment, one of the keys to surviving a professional environment is simply just not even buying into what they're saying and what they're looking at. You got to be you in a way that is manageable, but that also is good for your job. And I don't know what you do for a profession, but I feel like being a realist is a key aspect for a lot of jobs. I mean, some jobs do require being more of a uh, of an optimist. Um, I think as a physician, you got to have a healthy dose of realism and optimism because everybody has issues that you're dealing with trying to save. And so there's got to be a certain level of optimism of like, you know what, today is the day that we're not going to let anyone die. But the realism in you is going to say, hey, but someone might. And that doesn't make me a bad doctor. Uh, but, I mean, this is all just going off of Grey's Anatomy. But the reality is, is that you have to have a balance of those things. And what being a realist is, is having a balance of knowing that negative can be involved and positive can be involved. And it's not about being cold. And it's not about being emotional. It's simply about different things call for different reactions. And I think that they're fucking with you. That's what the realist in me sees, that they are fucking with you. Now, you can only do so much. And I think that's the other thing is that when you are someone who is a realist and can see things for what they are and want to deliver it, it can get pushy at times and it can get forceful at times. And that's when you start losing tact. And then people are just like, damn, like, why are you beating me in the head? Why are you hammering this down my throat? And it's not intentional as much as it's just like, you're like, no, but I see it. I see it. I see it. But you can't. You can only do so much, you know? As we all need to do as humans, you got to temper your voice. Sometimes you got to realize like, you know what? Inside voices. We've, we don't need to go this hard. And at this job that you're doing, I feel like you absolutely need to do that because they're funny style. Don't let yourself be less than a realist because other people are trying to turn you into being an apologist. Another DMT. So I live in Seattle, and I'm surrounded by a lot of hyper-PC white folks who just want the appearance of equity, but don't really want to face the real issues facing us. I often find myself being chastised for being honest, and people tell me I'm bringing negative energy for just being honest and speaking truth about social and political issues. I feel very alienated by people who think I'm abrasive because I choose to speak the truth no one wants to deal with. So my question is, how do I cope and stand in my truth in such environments? This is a really important question because what it talks about is the fact that you can't really make change if you're not being a realist about the actual situation. So you get a lot of folks who say things like, oh, I don't see color, or we've come such a long way, or we have a black president, and somehow they feel like that is not, somehow they feel like that is enough to take the place of like the actual realities that are still going on. And they feel like by doing that, it makes them feel better. It makes them feel like, okay, we're moving forward. We're, 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 we are having change. And then that alleviates, alleviates them of responsibility. That's what it really boils down to. It alleviates them of the responsibility of having to bear the burden of knowing that even though we've had these little morsels of movement, there is still a gargantuan amount of change that would have to happen for it to truly affect the minds and the institutions that are in this country and in the world. In this scenario, I feel like it's almost a catch-22 because these are the people who are fake woke. 
right? They really just want to feel good about like what they're contributing to the situation, but they don't want to actually face the realities of the real overall situation. So then are you really helpful? Because that to me is a white savior versus a white ally, which is a whole other show. But if you're not going to look at the top down of the story, then let's not even talk. You know, there's a book called Why I Stop Talking to White People About Racism. And they talk about this in the book because it's just like, if you're not going to actually face what's really happening, then this is a stupid, pointless conversation. It's an exercise in futility because I can't express to you the scenario. My Caitlyn Jenner situation is a perfect example. The Caitlyn Jenner part that you didn't see, let's talk about that for a second. So when I was on that live feed with Katy Perry and we were sitting at that dinner table, a lot of people only saw the clip where I started talking to Caitlyn Jenner about her privilege. But they didn't necessarily see the whole clip because if you miss the live feed, they never put the whole clip up. Well, what happened previous to that was there was a conversation happening at the other end of the table that talked about how everyone in America deserves to have a voice. All of the poli- everybody deserves to have a voice. Even the people who voted for Donald Trump, they deserve to have a voice too. And I'm just listening to shit and I'm like, all right, y'all, all right. And they keep talking about it. And finally, Van Jones was like, Amanda, what do you think? And I was like, well, me being the realist I am, I think it's great that y'all could be so kumbaya. Kumbaya, my lord. Kumbaya. Shaka, 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 kumbaya. It's not really helpful to be kumbaya in this situation because the reality is these people did use their voice. They did use their voice. They used their voice to elect somebody who made it explicitly clear that he has no intention of being here for the wellness of the people. Maybe certain people, a very small group of people. I think the best way to uh, add that up would be 1% of people. But overall, This is somebody who absolutely has made it widely known that they are a terrible person. So the people at the end of the table were just like, no, I mean, we have to understand, though, that Trump will pass as if it's a cold, you know, or cramps on day one of your period. It'll pass. It'll pass, you know, and they were like, but we'll still be Americans. Will we? Because if you ask the people who are here under DACA, they're, they're being told that they're no longer Americans. If you ask people who are being deported right now, who have been here for decades, they're no longer Americans. How long is it going to take before you're also included in that, right? So they're talking about this, and I said, you know what? I think there are people that also felt that Adolf Hitler would pass. Now, people always feel a way when you bring up Hitler. <laughs> That's just it. People always feel a way when you bring up Hitler. People always feel a way when you bring up avocados. You know, people always feel a way when you bring up Biggie versus Tupac. These are real things that trigger people, okay? Of course, there have been numerous terrible, horrible leaders besides Adolf Hitler, okay? We can talk about them for hours upon hours. Caligula, Mugabe, all right? Homeboy in... uh, Homeboy in Belgium, basically, Belgium, just all of the Spain folks, all of the ones over there, just running them down. Oh, Leopold of Belgium. That's the fucker's name. Leopold of Belgium shit all over Africa, and we are still trying to clean it up. But the reason people bring up Hitler is because Hitler is the most popular. You know, he's the Rachel of all of 
the terrible leadership friends. No one's going to bring up Joey. (laughs) Why are we going to bring up Joey? Everybody knows Rachel. Adolf Hitler is the Rachel of terrible historical leaders. Okay? And when you bring him up, it triggers people because they know that. And that's how you can push the conversation forward. You don't have to do any explaining. They know. Well, y'all, people were upset. Well, no. I mean, I mean, Donald Trump is not leading people to gas chambers. Not yet. But the realist in me is able to say, well, Adolf Hitler did not come out swinging gas chambers either. We have to look at the full picture of things. And most historians are realists because they're able to see the full picture of things and look at this one here and this happened here and this happened here and this happened here. And if we look at that trajectory happening right now, if the same things are happening, then the realist is going to say it looks like it could possibly go in the same direction. That's a fact. And that conversation got all convoluted and crazy because Caitlyn Jenner, who is not a realist, said that she was offended by me comparing Donald Trump to Adolf Hitler because she said it is disrespectful to her as a citizen and disrespectful to our country and to Americans. And in my opinion, Donald Trump is disrespectful to our country and Americans and to my being a citizen. And that's how the conversation pushed forward because she said she didn't want to talk about it anymore because by my saying that, I was being hostile. So here we have another example of you being a realist, but then someone deciding that that's you being hostile simply by you presenting to them a very possible and factful truth. And that's a tactic that people use to diminish and to try and take the the rug out from under you. They're trying to un-Aladdin you. No. Don't let them de-Aladdin you. No, because you have to be a realist to get us to a whole new world. (laughs) I committed to that, y'all. I really did. And you know what? When you have a realist, the reality is that you'll never have a friend like me. Because <laughs> I am one jump ahead of the bread line. One skip. <laughs> I can do this all day. I can do this all day. All day. Um, but I say all that to say that sometimes in those situations, you got to just bow out, girl. You just got to bow out. Because I've talked about this on my Instagram, and the fact of the matter is, you cannot have a debate with people who don't want to look at the facts. And ain't nobody got time to be arguing. An argument is just emotion-based. Debate is a real conversation that looks at the facts, and you have opposing sides, but you can get to an actual bottom line. Those people in that room right there, they don't want to look at the facts. They just want to look at themselves and feel good about themselves. And those are people who aren't even looking in the mirror. They're looking in rose-colored glasses, and ain't nobody got time for that. So you need to put your energy to people who actually do want to make change. People I like. Yeah. This week's People I Like is dedicated to author Lovey Ajayi. Hey, Lovey. Now, Lovey's first book, I'm Judging You, The Do Better Manual, was a New York Times bestseller because... She was keeping it all the way real about how to really look at what we are doing as people in a society in different ways. Her book is literally breaking down different um, ways of interacting with people, whether it be through social media, whether it be how we're talking in email, whether in a corporate space, whether in a friend space, and basically like saying, hey, when y'all do this stuff, It's not cool. This is how we need to better interact with each other. And I like it because there's so much 
work being done these days of trying not to offend people and trying to pat everybody on the back and protect everybody and not trigger and not throw anybody off and, you know, not hurt any feelings. And what she did with the book was she managed to give people critical ways of looking at how they're living their lives in a way that is not necessarily like trying to come for your neck or trying to attack you, but through a realist lens that says, listen, I understand, but here's how we could do better. And that's really compassion. Being a realist doesn't mean that you lack compassion. It just means that you are aware in a very clear way. And sometimes people think that being a realist is like, oh, I just tell it how it is and I don't care about how you receive it. No, you still have compassion. What I love about Lovey is that she's not only done the book, but now she's taken to speaking. And so she's sharing these thoughts in a bigger platform and in a bigger way. And I think that it's really great because folks are receiving it in a different way than just off the page. Because you know, when you read things sometimes, you know, you only have your perspective. But when you see someone say it to you, then you get an even other lens to look through and you get a different tone. You get their perspective added in. And every time I see Lovey, she's the same person. She's the same person. She was a realist with me about writing my book. She was like, listen, it's so hard. It's not easy to write the book. You got to sit down. You got to get very disciplined about it. Now, I had other people who were like, oh, girl, you're going to figure it out. You know what I'm saying? Just you don't figure it out. Just just, just write it. Just write it. That's not, that's, that's not really helpful for me, y'all. It's very optimistic. And thank you for believing in me. Thank you. But when Lovey was like, oh, you writing a book? Let's talk about how you get that done. And she broke it down for me in steps and phases and in process. And I was like, oh, my God, thank you so much. And I saw how that is actually present in her book by telling people how they can, through phases and steps and ways and means, improve how they're living. That's what being a realist is. And when I see it on the page, it just warms my heart because I feel like the way for us to really advance as a society is to have a lot of realism with a lot of strong dashes of hope and keep that objectivity and truth on a train towards triumph. You can get Lovey's book, I'm Judging You, The Do Better Manual, in stores and in Kindles everywhere. That That one time... So I'm a creative, and when you're an artist, there's a lot of twists and turns on this road where you got to get real, real with yourself. And you have to be a realist if you're going to be a creative because this field is so just wild, wild west and lacking in blueprints that you have to create the realism for yourself. And sometimes people are afraid to do that because they think it's going to hold them back or they think it's, you know, going to be a negative. Um, And sometimes when you express that to other people, you know, a realist point of view, they think you're trying to hold them back or you're trying to be negative. I mean, I've had situations where someone is telling me that they want to pursue a certain course of life or of action or of work. And they're at and, and we're talking and I'm like, well, be careful because, you know. That's just like a really precarious field and, you know, they're not really um, friendly over there. And then the person will get defensive and then nasty and rude and be like, well, just because it didn't work for you doesn't mean it won't won't work for me. And you're like, okay, that's not what I was implying. I'm just giving you a heads up due to my realist point of view of looking at things. And on the flip side, sometimes people are just too 
optimistic to a point of delusion. And you as the artist have to know the full realm of where you're at and where you want to go. So when I was preparing to do season two of my web series, Get Your Life, I had someone on my team who was just like, no, we have to sell it. We have to sell it. We're going to get somebody to pay to do it. We're going to get somebody to pay to do it. And I was like, great, let's embark on that process. Let's do it. So I start taking these meetings, taking meetings at different places around the, around LA, you know, different digital companies, um, networks, et cetera. And I'm pitching them, get your life. And, you know, they're kind of like, oh, you know, we like you, you know, the show's cool, but nobody is like excited. Nobody is jumping or chomping at the bit. And I wasn't really getting discouraged. I just was like, okay, we'll go on to the next. We'll go on to the next. We'll go on to the next. However, the realist in me knew that there needed to be a very clear line of demarcation from when we were going to continue this process or or traverse to a different option. And that's part of being a realist, knowing when it's time to pivot Some people don't want to face that. They don't want to pivot. They want to just keep on going with something and keep on knocking on the same door. And it's like, try the fucking window. Try the window. But some people don't want to try the window because they think that that's going to be like um, diminishing of their status. You know, they they, they feel like it doesn't look good to try the window. Being a realist is knowing that it may not look good, but it may get the shit done. So when I had this person who was on my team that was pressing me to do this, they kept pressing me to meet with these people, meet with these people, meet with these people. And I remember the final meeting that I had, I'm meeting with this company and they're like, yes, you know, we're, we're, we're moving. We're about to get all this money. We're about to get all this funding. It's going to happen in a week and then we'll be able to move forward. And I was like, awesome. And they're like, we love the project. We love you. It's going to be amazing. I'm like, let's do it. Now, remember that line of demarcation? I had said, we have this long to do this process and then I need to change gears. So there was really only two more weeks before that line of demarcation. But they said they were going to have the money in a week. So it shouldn't be a problem. Well, y'all, the week went by and it was, yeah, you know, things shifted, things changed. We're going to do this. You know, we got to wait a little longer for the money, but it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. Now, the realist Amanda Seals used her spidey senses And looked at the scenario and said, you know what? I don't want to put my show banking on these people getting this money. Because they've already shown us that they didn't get it when they thought they were going to get it. So there really isn't proof that we should continue on this path. The person on my team was like, no, 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 no. They're going to get it. I know they're going to get it because they said they were. And I said, well, they said they were last week and we didn't get it. So she was like, yes, but, but really like, this is going to be a really good look. And I was like, why? That's the realist. You ask the question, why, why is this going to be a good look? Because Amanda, you don't, you sell shows. That's what you do. You sell shows. And I was like, do I? Cause at present I have not sold a show. And that was me being a realist because part of being a realist is also being fearless with facing the truth and not letting it hurt you, but letting it inspire you to come up with another plan. And I was like, I have not sold a show. So we cannot sit here and say Amanda Seals sells shows because the real truth is that it hasn't happened. What we do need to do, though, is find out a way to make the show happen regardless, because I refuse to let other people's no's prevent me from what I have made a yes. And... The person on my team did not really understand that because they were more about like the overall look of things. 
And I understand, I said, no, I think, I think we're going to move forward and we're going we're, we're gonna to crowdfund. And she was like, this is not a good look. It just doesn't look good for you. And I'm like, if, if Spike Lee can crowdfund, I can crowdfund. And we ended up crowdfunding and it ended up going very well, very successful. And we managed to put together a season two of Get Your Life, which you can now watch right now on blavity.com backslash series. And the really thing, that, the real thing that really happened there was somebody was not being an optimist. They were not being a pessimist. They were just not being a realist. You know, the optimism is in hoping that things will get will go well. But if you don't have like a real reason to root that in in happening, that's not an optimist. That's a delusional person. Like you're just hoping, but not based on anything for real. Guess what, y'all? They never got the money. To this day, they never got the money. The shit ended up folding. And I was so proud of myself because I would have booked ticket on something for no reason if I hadn't used my realist point of view, which is looking at the actual things here, not just the potential. I'm not saying that you don't look at potential, but you look at the actual things. And thank goodness, because we actually got a season two of Get Your Life. And we got it because people out there looked at what I was doing and said, you know what? We want to support this because she has proven that she is real about her work ethic and about her quality control. And we're going to get behind it. So when you're creating these paths for yourself and figuring out these blueprints, Make sure that you have people around you who do have a dose of optimism and a dose of pessimism because sometimes you need that too just to kind of keep the balance but who at the end of the day respect your realism because you have to be the realist about your real work. The Last Dose before we get into the last dose, I just want to let you all know that there's a moment in the song A Whole New World where I forever thought it was every moment gets better. And it's actually every moment red letter. Right. Everyone in the room is looking like, Amanda, what are you talking about? That's the actual lyric. Every moment red letter. And I guess it's like neon lights. Is that what that's about? A uh, red letter day. A red letter day? What's a red letter day? Great big celebratory day. It was a red letter day when like, <gasps> the day was a red letter day. Well, look at that. Look at that. I never... So now that's even more information because I, to this day, thought it meant like, oh, neon lights, red letters, a red letter day. Every moment, red letter. Well, you know, I'll, I'll take you anywhere. <laughs> no. Okay. You guys. Shout out to everybody out there who considers themselves a realist. And shout out to everybody who was listening and said, you know what? Maybe I'm a pessimist and I could stand to add a little more optimism into the mix and bring me up to the realist meter. And shout out to the folks who know that they're optimists and are like, you know what? Let me be respectful that when someone's being real, I don't have to diminish their realism because sometimes that happens. You're being real about the situation and someone says, oh, just pray on it. Or, oh, it's not that bad. You know, everything is better. Or, you know, there's people in, you know, Rwanda that are suffering. And it's like, yes, and that is honest and that is true. And I can still be grateful for my situation while still being a realist about the whackness that's taking place. That's a fact. Um, But we need realists. We need it. Because objectivity and pragmatism and 
looking at things from a lens of facts is integral to people just managing life, managing their expectations, managing movement. And you want to bring those people around you, even though it may seem like it's taxing to be receiving those truths. And even though you may feel like, damn, I'm not ready to face that. Or even if they may need to work on their tact, book ticket on people who are realists because they will keep you honest and they will keep themselves honest. And that's what we really need to really know how to be our best selves and how to make this world better. And every moment, a red letter. It's another episode of Small Doses, y'all. <laughs> oh, you know I'm going to go sing the entire Aladdin soundtrack when I get off this recording device, right? Prince Ali, fabulous he, Ali Abba. Okay, I got to go. Bye.